2: But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew six thirty three. This verse is cautionary. In essence, it's admonishing us about worrying over our worldly stuff. Instead, we're told to look to a higher authority. We're great worriers, aren't we? We worry about things that may never come to pass. We worry about tomorrow. Jesus tells us in the next verse that tomorrow will worry about itself. That's quite a powerful image. Basically, what Matthew is reporting is that if we persist with our worry nature, we give God the message that we don't really trust him to look after us. So, for a worry-free existence, seek first his kingdom. Good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McMinnie. And how are you today? I missed everyone last week. I hope you enjoyed my encore show with my British homeschooling mums. Well, I'm back now in the aftermath of the Rangers' defeat. I don't suppose we're supposed to be talking about that. Things got pretty exciting there for a minute, didn't they? I think we expected them to win the World Series. Did you know all the merchandise for both teams had already been made in preparation for bumper sales the moment the games were over? So what do they do with the losing team's massive merchandise? I found out that they package it up and send it to Africa. So, that's the only place where people will be walking around with shirts and baseball caps emblazoned with the Rangers as the World Series winners. The fair is over also for another year. I didn't go, but my midway-loving daughter did, without us. I asked her who she was going with and was relieved when she said a friend and three young men. They all drove together and arrived at 5.30 in the afternoon, so were there until closing, until it was dark... She said she watched the pig races. That was exciting. She ate a turkey leg for dinner, which she'd never done with us. And then she had the classic fried Oreo for dessert and a lemonade. That was her baby way of saying lemonade. It stuck even in company, much to her chagrin. Malia said it was teeming with young couples in groups. Usually when we go in the late morning, it's full of families, old folks and out of towners. A great place to people watch. There were police everywhere, she said, and the Dallas Gang Control. Scary title, but I'm glad they were out in force. And Malia thanked me for suggesting that they go in a mixed group. She felt safer, she said. And Buddy, my grand dog, had a good time while I went to Mora. You'll have to stay tuned to find out where that little town is, because I am not telling you now. When Buddy first arrived, the sun was out, all was lovely. He had his off-to-grandma's house bags with him, plus the required pair of tennis balls. We got some good plays outside in the field, and as always, he cooled off in our pool. So welcome back, Buddy. Just don't come inside with those muddy paws. His mom had called to warn me that Buddy had had a scare from a visiting dog who had spent two days and two nights in his house. The dog thought that all food or water bowls on the floor were his. My friend fed the visiting dog outside and wouldn't let him in until Buddy had finished his food. On the second evening, Mr. Visitor somehow finagled his way inside and made a beeline for Buddy's bowl where Buddy was contentedly chowing down. He snarled and snapped at my poor, innocent granddog, and scared the heck out of him, so much so that Buddy hasn't eaten for a week when he came to me, frightened of being attacked again, even though the offending dog had gone home days ago. My friend hoped that in a new environment he'd get over his scare and return to eating again. That's what grandparents are for, right? she asked over the phone. Right, I said, stepping up to the challenge. And at first he was fine. I added scraps to his bowl and he ate voraciously. But once I had left, he reverted to his scared state and wouldn't eat anything out of his bowl again. Maybe he felt safe with me there, poor old spook dog. It also rained while I was gone, so he couldn't even play outside. Sad face. Well, I'm going to go straight to my book excerpt. And this week it's from the chapter Mind the Gap. My parents are visiting to check out the homeschool, I suspect, and it's been eight years since their last stay with us, and things are quite different now. My parents came from the British Isles to visit me and my new school, not exactly to check us out, but simply to discover just what it was their daughter and son-in-law, he who could do no wrong, were doing with their grandchildren. I think they were worried. As it turned out, this was also their last visit to America. No, they didn't die. Well, not yet. They're both still catching their breaths between Walking the Dog and Bridge tournaments in their seaside home in Kent, England but they live in mortal fear of flying since September 11th, which happened fast on the heels of the visit I'm referring to. I personally believe this to be nothing more than a perfect excuse to stay at home and maintain minimal contact with their eccentric family. My husband sees it as an opportunity for him to effortlessly maintain the hard-earned title of he who could do no wrong and has used global terror shamelessly to his advantage he remains to this day on the right side of his mother-in-law as the proverbial blue-eyed boy. I was in my eighth year. Oh, yeah, you caught that, too. It's been eight years since my parents' last visit. They really weren't exactly falling over themselves to come and immerse themselves in their American family's culture this side of the pond. And there they were, with bells completely flummoxed as to what to do or say around their four grandchildren who were strangers to them. I was quite comfortable by now with the homeschooling lark, but I knew my parents may have trouble finding their comfort zones, so I tried to prepare them gently. They came armed with preconceived ideas, verbalised in a rush when we greeted them at the airport. I have to tell you this, said my mother before the hugs, to get it out of the way and clear the air. Shoot, mum, I said, then we'll hug. We want to let you know that your father and I will not pass judgment on you for being part of some David Koresh type cult in Waco, as she pronounced Waco. But we hope you'll spare us the details. During numerous telephone conversations spanning the intervening eight years, our British stiff-upper-lipped culture demanded that we not talk about politics, money, or religion. And although every cradle American knows these subject to be the mainstay of stateside conversation, no self-respecting dinner table would be complete without a little smattering of governmental criticism blended with potential earnings, deserved or otherwise, and sprinkled with a tad of God for good measure. So I wondered how my parents had reached their cult conclusion. I wanted to maintain my childhood position of being the apple of my father's eye, so I warned both of them before venturing out on our first Friday afternoon activity with fellow homeschoolers that they would probably be pronounced blessings. Well, there are better, better, plenty of worse things I could be called, I suppose. My mother attempted a jocular reply in her hesitancy and took my father's hand for moral support. I further told her that the mothers would continually invoke the name of the Lord or the good Lord as if he were a tangible member of their families, which he was, but I am not going into the theology of that argument here. They would insert his name amongst words to render the conversation virtually incomprehensible, rather like the way we use expletives. I did a quick intake of breath. Did I really just say that? I could tell my parents were chomping at the bit by the way they were backing into a corner. I, don't know, I didn't know how to continue, so I gathered the children up and we headed for our field trip. On our outing, and it will turn out to be the last, am I noticing a pattern here? Their accents got in the way, of course. No true conversations occurred as we talked at each other and witnessed much communing with the good Lord. My parents were entranced to the point of stupor, and managed to find some other pressing commitments, resting or reading, instead of venturing out with me again in that capacity. At this stage in my homeschool career, I'd given up the curriculum that instructed me on what to teach and how to do it each day calvert had served me well in my opening years keeping me and the children so busy that at times i was quite breathless at the end of the day as each year somehow barreled to a close with all of us still intact my confidence grew and i was now employing a system that did not reproduce the traditional classroom in my home i'd throw the teacher manuals and bells away and except for my trusty saxon math had tossed aside textbooks in favor of whole books My parents' interpretation of what we were doing could best be described as living without school. I must agree, at first glance, Wildflower Academy did not live up to its rather grand name. To the untrained eye, and theirs was untrained, having not entered a classroom since their early teens, it did look as though I was not doing much in the way of educating their grandchildren. However, as their visit groups were closed... They realized they had been unwittingly prevailed upon to become substitute teachers at the academy each time a child sidled uncertainly up to them to ask for help with anything from their times tables to spelling. They'd become honorary members of the faculty when invited to paint with them, read a book out loud or re- record on tape a favourite story. The atmosphere gently dripped beads of learning onto four willing minds without drenching the zest for discovery with formality. At the airport, when we were saying farewell, I commented on the praise the Lord crowd they had met and rejected, who are now my circle of friends. I hope I never become one of them. I don't want you to go home worrying about us becoming zealots or anything like that. Oh, there could be worse things they could be saying, they reassured me. We're not worried about our grandchildren anymore. Larry seems to be doing a wonderful job with them. So I was right. That is why they came well, it's time for us to go on a short break, so join me later after these messages, and um, I will be talking to Janita Pavelka, whose family are entrepreneurs, having started and run a total of 24 businesses in their career so far. So, we're going to talk about how she incorporates equal amounts of manual labor, volunteering, and academics into her family's day. So. Stay tuned and um, join me after these messages.
1: How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNitty, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. and Me is on Toginet, a delightful, thoughtful, serious, and not-so-serious call-in show with Cecil Murphy and Twila Belk. Tuesday nights at 8, 7 central on Toginet.com. You know Cease is the veteran author from 90 Minutes in Heaven, Gifted Hands, When a Man You Loved Was Abused, and many other books, as well as a mentor for writers. And Twyla Belk is an effervescent force known as the Gotta Tell Somebody Gal. She's also a writer and motivational speaker who's always bragging on God. For more on Cecil Murphy, go to his website, Cecil Murphy, that's P-H-E-Y dot com. And for Twyla, Somebody dot com. The show, Season Me, is a far-reaching, faith-based, shared conversation and call-in show with questions welcomed, a chance to get everything out in the open, from questions about writing to surviving sexual abuse to the topics of the day, all from a Christian worldview to help you. season Me, Cecil Murphy, Twyla Belk, Tuesday evenings at 8, 7 central on toginet.com. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Pidrock, Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Togineck. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, hello,
2: and I'm back with my guest, Junita Pavelka. Hello, Junita. Hello, Vivian. How are you?
0: Good. What's your weather like? (laughs) You know, it's a little overcast today, but it has been a gorgeous fall. I mean, it's been in the, we live in Nebraska, so it's been in the 60s and 70s all the way up until November 10th, which is amazing. Oh, well, good,
2: good. Are you, so you're in Nebraska, so from Texas, is that, is that north of us? It's straight north. Mm -hmm. I guess everything's north of us, really, isn't it, because we are in the south. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and your trees are all changing color,
0: I suppose? They are. Very pretty, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. And you live on a About farm? Last month. We do. We just, uh, a year and a half ago, we moved out from the city and we bought a 22-acre, um, you know, little farm. We call it Old McDonald's Farm. And so we're having fun with all of our animals. Uh-huh. So what do you have? Well, we have um, dogs, lots of dogs. My children um, raise dogs. And then we all have right. horses and we have cats. And ducks and chickens and goats and bunnies. Oh, were they already there, or have you acquired them over the years? No, we acquired them. Oh, okay. In fact, in fact quite quickly, in almost within the first month of moving here, uh-huh. all of a sudden there's all this land, and you know you can't really
2: say no. We don't have room. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, Janita, tell me, um, why did you start homeschooling? You say you moved from the city, so obviously you lived in the city while you were homeschooling. So what prompted you to start homeschooling?
0: Right. Well, actually, when I was pregnant with my first daughter, uh, our children are 15 and a half, 14, 12, and 10. Mm -hmm. And when I was pregnant with our first daughter, I read um, a book by Raymond and Dorothy Moore called "The Successful Guide to Homeschooling, A Creative and Stress-Free Approach. And I believed it. And So, from basically from the womb on, I knew I wanted to teach. Now I am a trained uh, teacher um, mm-hmm. by trade, and so I love teaching. But I also love the the fact of being home with my family. You know, mm-hmm. I come from a traditional family. My mom was home with us, and I wanted to stay home with my children. But mm-hmm. I loved having I loved being in the classroom. So now I feel like I have the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. And you
2: say that your mom was at home. She did you home? Did she homeschool you as well? Um,
0: no, she's just a stay-at-home mom. She's a farm wife, a stay-at-home mom,
2: All right, and I so. have a public
0: school education, because okay, um, so. it wasn't really heard of when I was growing up.
2: No, no. I know that here in Texas, oh, when I first started homeschooling, it was legal, but I had a friend who had started homeschooling like 10 years before me, and she said we were literally in fear of them knocking on our doors and hauling us off to jail. <laughs>
0: Right, right. Yeah. Probably yeah. right around graduation time, I knew like two other families who were homeschooling and they were thought of as um, different. Yeah,
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, so you, you've kind of got farming in your blood then because you say your your mom was a
0: farm girl and. Uh... Right. I grew up yeah. on the farm in, in northern South Dakota. Right. So oh, I like yeah. this life. Oh, OK.
2: OK. Northern South Dakota. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. And um, so you moved from a city, from the city to the farm, and now your children have lots of space to move around. And you can actually tell me a little bit about the uh, Moore formula, because you said you read this book by Ray and Dorothy Moore um, about Mm -hmm. homeschooling. So tell me a little bit about um, their method of homeschooling that has appealed to you.
0: Okay, we have um, been homeschooling for over ten years. You know, we started when they were younger, but of course, you know, we just played school until they until they reached a certain age. Um, the more approach to homeschooling is a trifold approach: it's work, service, and academics. In a nutshell, the hours of academics you're doing a day, say you're doing three, four, five, six hours of academics a day book work, you should be working that out um, practically manually, like manual labor. Um, For us, it works really well with all the children having their own businesses. And so they do inside chores, outside chores, and then, of course, they work on their businesses. Mm -hmm. And then the third facet is service. Mm-hmm. So service for others. So it helps them think about others and not just live in a self-centered world. Mm-hmm.
2: So what sort of service, what sort of volunteer work do they do? Do they volunteer in the community?
0: Um, they do. You know, back when we lived in the city, we had regular, um, you know, regular weekly uh, assignments. We did um, the food pantry. You know, every week I took to the children and we, and we could bag the food for the food mm-hmm. pantry. It worked really well. So my daughter worked in the baby boutique at our... Um, Crisis Pregnancy Center, you know, she organized all the clothes and donations, and, and that was right up her alley. Now, here in the rural area, we need to be a little more creative, but um, tomorrow we're going to a nursing home, and we're going to play play music and sing for them mm-hmm. um, and, you know, visit with the residents. Mm-hmm.
2: That's such an important aspect of children's lives because I think children today are very, well, not only children today. I'm sure all children are self-centered. They think the world kind of revolves around them. And I think it's good for them to to reach out and, and share with others that aren't as fortunate as they are. Right.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so you say you're going to a nursing home and you're going to be playing and, and uh, did you say singing, doing music with them? Right. Uh-huh.
0: Uh, okay. The all play piano, and then they play um, another instrument, you know, guitar or violin or flute.
2: Uh, so your children
0: all play those. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. All right. So you right. you have you have something um, that you do because I went and checked on your website because I wanted to look at all your businesses, and mm-hmm. um, you do Simply Music. Can you talk a little bit about Simply Music?
0: Yeah, Simply Music has been, it has changed my life. I discovered it seven years ago, and it's, Simply Music is an Australian developed piano program where the students are playing from the very beginning. So they come to me for lessons, but so we get, we're playing blues, we get into jazz, classical, accompaniment, contemporary pieces from the very beginning. And so, what happens is we treat music like a language, um, mm-hmm. because it is a language, so we allow them to, um speak the language, you know, by playing this repertoire, and then we temporarily delay the reading process. So we introduce then um, the reading of uh, rhythm and then the reading of notes after about a year. So they have this musical vocabulary, which they can speak from, and then we put up the page and they say, oh, okay, that's middle C, base C, treble C, you know, a lot like our children talking about cat, dog, house, car, and then we teach them how to write that and how to spell that, and they're like, oh, cats, you know, I have, I've been dealing with this for six years, so they have, you know, contextual hooks mm-hmm. to hang that information. So, and so it, it, it's, been, it's been great. And so I've had a studio now for seven years. I used to be a traditional teacher. I was classically trained pianist. And now um, this is all I teach.
2: And you teach it face-to-face with, with children, or how do you do that?
0: I do. I have a studio, you know, um, I had a studio back in the city for six years, and then I'll out um, here for a year. And I have my classes on Mondays and Tuesdays, and they come to me for lessons. And I give them a good stuff, you know, the good information. And I send them home to practice during the week, and they can come back and they can um, not only play the foundation songs, but they we get into composition, improvisation, arrangements, variations. And so it's exciting because they it's creative. It comes from within, um, and they can also then they also learn to read, so they can source it from without too. Mm
2: So initially they're playing by ear, would you say? Is that how that
0: works? You know, know, it has really improved my ear. In my children's ear, they have no no qualms about... You know, picking out their favorite songs and the the tune on the piano you know so essentially playing by ear, they'll mm. download their favorite songs from iTunes and then they'll figure out what key it's in, and then they'll you know figure out the chords in the left hand and they'll be playing with their right hand, and the brother will get out get out his guitar and play with them now, when I was a child taking lessons i number one I didn't think about doing that, and number two, I probably thought I couldn't do it because it wasn't written on the page.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. And so I'm excited that there's so much freedom that they can be a well-rounded musician. You know, they can play by ear, but they also can read off the page, and they can be making up their own things. They have a repertoire. You know, my daughter said, Mom, why are you so nervous about tomorrow? She said, We've done this a thousand times. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so they, they're they used to playing in public. and Yeah. Uh, you
2: know. Yeah, Yeah. well, and also you'll have an appreciative audience. You know, that's what I always say to my children. You know, you can get nervous, but the people out there are going to be watching you and they're going to be thoroughly enjoying what you're doing with them and for them. So mm-hmm. think of it that way. Think of it that way. That's, um, that's yeah, great. we used we used to, um, our family um, volunteered in the community. We did it in a different way, though. We did theater, which was community theater. Oh, and, yeah, we were all able to do it together and... Um, we offered a ser- well we offered a service because after you know during the day when the kids weren't uh, had finished with their homeschool they could go up and help paint sets and build sets and do construction, all that kind of stuff. But it was also fun for them because they got to perform on stage and the schools would come as part of their curriculum to see the shows and all that kind of stuff. So there's lots of different ways that you can volunteer in your community. Yeah. yeah. And
0: there's nothing Uh, like being on stage and performing that is such (laughs) a good skill to have. You know, that, that should just be part of a curriculum. Well, and being able to
2: memorize because, you know, boys, well, my boys anyway, sort of were slower at reading it's rather like learning how to play the piano they wanted to know the stories but they didn't want the drudgery of actually learning how to read so i'd read to Mm -hmm. them or they would memorize their stuff or do the plays and that kind of stuff so Mm -hmm. yeah right right all right um okay so you're very, you've got lots of business, businesses and uh, for my listeners out there I've got um, Juanita's um, website on, well I've got it linked on my um, ToggyNet site so um, you can go <laughs> and um, check out all of the different Um, businesses that they have and some of the manual um, works that they do but um, tell me the current businesses that um, your children are are doing at the moment
0: Uh, our current businesses my oldest daughter has uh, her own jewelry company it's called every girl's dream jewelry company when she was 13 she got her ears pierced and so of course she was into jewelry And then she found this uh, pretty jewelry on the internet. She said, Mom, can we order this? was a hundred lots of earrings. I said, Amalia, or Rachel, how about if you just order... A little sample pack and see if it sells well it just sold right away so then mm-hmm. she has been importing jewelry from Peru ever since then mm-hmm. and it's been uh over two years now and it, it just sells really well so she has the bracelets and the necklaces and the earrings and all you know for the different seasons different the Peruvian and Murano and Tala seed and the leather and uh, so that has sold really well she also raises Maltese's And she has Yorkies. So right now she has a batch of Morkies Mm -hmm. she uh, is selling. And so she's working out right before you call. She's like, Mom, i got to get on the computer because I have to, you know, send them the contract. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so she's busy um, selling her Morkies. And she really loves that working with the customer service and talking to people and telling them about the different personalities of the little dogs. And she's very motherly. Mm -hmm. So at her age, mothering little puppies works really well. Well, Um, for those excuse me
2: for those of you just joining us i'm talking to janita pavelka who educates her four children on a farm in nebraska using the more approach which advocates play chores and volunteering outside the home as part of a successful homeschooling plan and i need to go on a break so join us for more after this
1: how do you handle toddlers teens and tirades when homeschooling That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNitty, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. The Way of the Toddler, with hosts Lita and Lori Hamilton, is a show unlike any other parenting program you've ever heard. Zen Masters in Diapers? Yes. Join us Tuesday afternoons at 5, 4 Central here on Toginet as we celebrate parenthood as a spiritual path for a journey to inner peace. With thought-provoking and spiritually compelling guests, each week Lita and Lori will explore how our children help us with the lessons we came here to learn, adding deeper meaning to our lives and relationships, while giving you valuable gems to add to your unique parenting toolkit. Check out the website, thewayofthetoddler.com. With great humor and honesty, Lita and Lori will demonstrate how inner peace is possible even when surrounded by poopy diapers and piles of laundry, and what we can learn from the innate wisdom and natural spirituality of our Zen masters and diapers. It's The Way of the Toddler with Lita and Lori Hamilton, Tuesday afternoons at 5, 4 central, here on Togenet.com. The American
0: Rocket!
1: Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. The show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Togenek. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney.
2: Well, I'm back and I'm talking to Janita and we're talking about how to balance our children's education. And um, we have been discussing her children's businesses. Um, We talked about Rachel and her jewellery. So um, tell me about your other three children's
0: businesses. Uh, Christian is fourteen, and he has um Starfish Soap Company, which uh, sells handmade uh, essential oil soap, and he named it starfish because we we were helping with a a ministry back um, in Omaha where uh, a homeschool family started a ministry to feed the homeless every Sunday in downtown Omaha and so he he gave ten uh, percent of his profits to the starfish ministry, so he named it Starfish soap Company oh. and even though we live you know we moved. From Omaha, we still, um, you know, are connected, and he's able to give to their ministries. Mm-hmm.
2: And so he actually makes the soap from scratch. How does he do that?
0: You know, we ha- we have made the soap from scratch, but we also um, he buys it from a, a soap maker. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, we have made the uh, the glycerin soap.
2: Yeah,
0: um, but he he buys the saponified soap. So it's probably probably a little bit less less labor
2: intense if he actually buys it already made and then resells it, right? Right.
0: Yeah. Right. Plus, you know what, Christian really likes he likes to sell. He, you know, we, we spoke at a conference last week. It was probably eighty people there, and he just stood up and he loved that. You know, it's like the bigger the crowd, the better. And so mm-hmm. that's just that's just the gift he's been given. Um, so he just we like to find quality products. Um, that people either don't know about it or it will benefit, you know, benefit mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. and then um, sell it for the people.
2: So how does he go about doing that? He does all that online?
0: Yeah, he yeah, has some online, but also in consignment shops and then expos or craft okay. fairs. You know, as an entrepreneurship um educator, I set up, when I'm teaching my uh, entrepreneurship classes, I set up expos in the community. And we, you know, back in Omaha, we used to co-op with the local colleges like uh, university, uh, UNO or with um, Bellevue University or Metro Community College and then we'd set up our entrepreneurship expos so, so it's the ex- like so we, the public
2: So you'd go into the colleges and see what the students were doing in there that they could sell perhaps and well, how how'd you do that? What's an expo?
0: Right, we would partner with the entrepreneurship colleges or the entrepreneurship classes at the mm-hmm. college Mm-hmm. Like at UNO or Metro Community College or Bellevue Bellevue University, you know, we we work with their college students in the entrepreneurship program,
2: and then Christian would commission them to sell uh, to sell him a certain amount of whatever they were they, they had, and and uh, then he turns around and sells it again online or
0: is that how that works? Well, well, everyone had the, yeah, they all had their own product, oh, and okay. so they would just do the expos together. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. He thought you but, know he would get the soap elsewhere.
2: Oh, but They all would right.
0: they would come together for an expo to sell mm-hmm. to sell their products together, okay. or a product or business you know or service,
2: yeah. either
0: one. So,
2: so does he mostly sell online, and so he has to package
0: stuff and mail it and stuff like that? Right. Right. Yeah. You know, we found it's different um, marketing and selling rural versus city. Uh, but you know, after the year and a half, we've had a learning curve, and so we just have to, you know, think differently or go to the city, mm-hmm. um, and you know, sell back in the city. So it works. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, it sounds like um, you're giving your children wonderful, you know, sort of head start as far as um, starting their own businesses and and you know, sort of getting out there. I don't think I'd, I I don't think I would know or would have known at that age how to start my own business, and I thinking that online, you know, being able to get online probably makes it a little bit more, um,
0: um, you know, sort of doable these days. Right, exactly. You know, this morning, uh, we also have chickens. We had um, over 100 chickens, probably 120, and so they've been talking me down, you know, talking me into uh, whittling our crop down or our herd down flock, and so this morning a man came about 45, and right in her head, our little 10-year-old, she said, okay, that'll be, you know, she told him the amount, and he said, are you sure? And she said, yep. You know, so here they're, you know, whatever they do, their, their book learning can be practically used mm-hmm. in their mm-hmm. other businesses. But they also figured out that for the price of eggs, this is how much we'd have to sell even to break yeah. even and feeding the chickens. You know, so they realized that they weren't they weren't making a profit with chickens. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they'd have to sell the eggs
2: for too much money. <laughs>
0: Right, exactly, and then you know you guys can't count on an egg a day from each chicken. Okay. So they, you know, they have businesses, and then they find out that they're profitable, and uh-huh. and then they move on from there. So they probably have they've had over twenty five businesses in the last ten years.
2: Yeah, I said that in your intro that you probably didn't hear my intro, and I said you had like 24 businesses over the last mm-hmm. during your short career. So that's that's mm-hmm. commendable. Okay, so we've done two children. You've got two more children. So are they are they doing something business wise?
0: Yes. Hannah Hannah's our third child, and she is uh, very much into animals, would like to be a vet when she grows up. And she has her horses and her goats, and so she boards horses. And she's very creative, and so she's also artistic, and she's also a different type of learner. And so the more approach, you know, better late than early, has worked really well, where they talk about n- um, not formally um, schooling uh, mm-hmm. until, like, age eight, 8, 10, or 12. You know, they even talk about age twelve, you know, don't worry about it. They're not reading mm-hmm. um, and it. Um you know Hannah was a little bit late in in reading, but you know it, it just fit in really well, and she's a ferocious reader now mm-hmm. and but it's also given her time to be creative and she'll make goat carts you know she's she's always designing things, and mm-hmm. so she's training her goats to pull to pull a carts, and she'll say, "Mom, you know we need to be in the parade, and then we can do this with a goat cart and do this with a goat cart you know mm-hmm. or she's always thinking is just very creative
2: and so does she paint the
0: carts? She does. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right now, she's working on painting a wooden horse. You know, she's just that oh. type of hands-on learner, and she's building a little fort. And they made a little clubhouse, and mm-hmm. right. uh, you know, they made their bylaws and they made their little membership cards. And so yeah. she's just really hands-on, uh, hands-on learner. But she's just again working out what she's learned in her books mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. academic uh, work. And so a horse is new to her? Did, she have, did you have horses while you were in the city? No, we did not. And she would pray every night. I want a horse. I'd say, Anna, you just have to pray. You have to pray for a farm. And that went on probably, oh, I bet, at least three, four years. Yeah. And then we moved into the farm on Monday. And by Friday, we had two horses. <laughs> <laughs> and that wasn't our doings, you know. So yeah. it, just, it just really worked out. Yeah. And so now we're to your
2: youngest now. What does your youngest do?
0: She is, um, she's, she's very social, very outgoing, um, very, you know, uh, like a party on wheels, you know, very forthright. And she has Amania Seed Company and she sells South Dakota sunflower seeds and it's a, a farmer, a farmer and a son, a father and son who, um, have a plant on their own f- uh, farm in South Dakota just 10 miles from where I grew up. And so again, quality product. Not, no one was selling them in Nebraska. So that's why two years ago we started we started distributing them down here because we love the seeds, the sunflower seeds, but no one had them. And so they're half the salt and a little bit of sugar. And so Omanya is the largest distributor here in Nebraska. Oh wow.
2: Well, good for Yeah.
0: Right, and so today she's, you know, making some phone calls and asking, you know, will you sell my seeds, and we did some contacts yesterday, so whenever we go on to do errands, you know, she'll stop in a store and talk to them about, would you like to carry my seeds, here's a sample, they're half the salt and a little bit of sugar, you Mm -hmm. know, and she'll tell them the story behind the seeds, and yesterday talked to a big distributor, so Mm so we'll see where it goes from there. Well, good, good.
2: Good. all right, so this balance, I'm, I'm just sort of fascinated by this balance because it's very much like um, the Benedictines, uh, the Benedictine monastery. They have a balance, you know, work, pray, and recreation. Oh. And um, mm. your 24-hour day is broken up into three eight-hour segments. And, um, you know, you do you, you balance all of that. So do you manage to keep the academics and the, the labor and the service? I mean, are they... Pr- pretty evenly balanced or are you heavier in some than in the others
0: you know i think they're evenly balanced because i'll tell you what i'll say okay for instance hannah and her horse i'll say okay hannah you do this you know here here's your academics for the day and when you're done you can go outside and be with your horse and that is so motivating to get her work done you know to do it right her inside chores outside chores and then she can pursue her interests Mm -hmm. Um, You know, my oldest, she um, has, She's. you know, just by running up contracts, you know, when she's selling her puppies or working with customers with her jewelry or finding new, um, new outlets, she has to work with the public. She has to use all her reading, writing, arithmetic skills, right? And so it's just very motivating. So she has to get her academics first. Done first, and then she can work on her business after her academics are done. And again, it just it just ties hand in hand, motivating. But number two, you know, it's it just gives them a the reason to do more three R's because it's very practical, and, and they're motivated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely, and uh, you know I I agree with that too. You know, you get in the schools, the traditional schools, there's just way too much, you know, academics. They don't get a chance to get out there and, and work, and um and they have to try and do their service at, at other times, or they just get home and watch TV or something like that. And I go, Ugh. um so I think this is this is wonderful. It's going to raise some um, well-rounded children. Um, somewhere there you said something about um, better late than early is that what you said better late than early Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the reading, you know, don't worry if they're not reading before the age of eight or even 12. Um, mm-hmm. I know a lot of parents, especially homeschooling parents, you know, freak out when their children aren't reading by the time right. they're five. Right. <laughs> so um, I agree with that because when a child's ready, they're ready. If they're not ready, mm-hmm. then all you're doing is getting yourself frustrated and beating your head against a brick wall and getting nowhere. So um, that's worked really well with your four children, just kind of waiting and seeing.
0: It's worked really well. Actually, you know, Dr. Raymond and Dorothy Moore, they wrote a book, Better Late Than Early, and that's, that was one of their premises of their uh, the Moore formula, that, you know, you, you delay formal homeschooling until the age of 8 or 10 or even 12. And mm-hmm. don't worry about it. You know, get their hearing tests, get their eyes checked, and if they're fine, it will click. Mm-hmm. But even with their spelling, you know, it will click. And so I always encourage parents, you know, just wait. Get, you know, get the... The physiological things checked out but then you just keep reading to them keep immersing them in good books and and be a good example and you know keep living life and, um, and it it will click well
2: Junita, it has been a pleasure this afternoon. We've come to the end of our time and um, I've been talking to uh, Junita who educates her four children using an eclectic approach. A great believer in balance and she uses manual labour and volunteering to set off the formality of academics. Uh, You can find a list of her family's impressive home businesses on her website. I've got the link on my Togginet page. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon and um, you have a wonderful weekend thank you vivian you also thank you bye yes bye-bye um we're going to go on a short break and i will be back momentarily and we're going to be talking about the question of the week. so stay tuned because you'll want to know what it is and um speak to you in a minute
1: How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNitty, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Pidrock. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. From there, you can also get to our other websites, blogs, and connections. On Everyday Autism Miracles, you'll hear stories from parents whose children have made miraculous strides. You'll also get the inside dish on therapies, treatments, supplements, and how to get funding to help you afford them. Miracles abound in the autism community. So tune in for Everyday Autism Miracles to listen, share, laugh, and surround yourself with hope. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Penrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central. On toginet.com. Adoption. Journey to motherhood with Mary Beth Wells. Monday mornings at 9, 8 a.m. central. This is not your typical show about adopting children. This is a shared experience from Mary Beth's heart. Mary Beth will be talking about and covering all the issues pertaining to adoption, including adopted parents, birth parents, adoptees, foster care, and infertility. So... How did your journey to motherhood begin? Or are you still on the path? We want to hear all voices sharing their stories and talking about those issues that are so dear to our hearts. You see, Mary Beth is a birth mom that relinquished a child for adoption and ended up coming full circle by adopting two beautiful little girls from Guatemala. And that led to her starting a doll company about adopting baby dolls from all around the world so that children could choose their own doll and learn about that doll's heritage. For more on Mary Beth and her dolls, go to PreciousBabyDolls.com. Then join us for adoption, Journey to Motherhood. With Mary Beth Wells, Monday mornings at 9, 8 a.m. Central. Remember, the heart knows no boundaries. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNenney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on TogiNeck. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenney.
2: So what do you do in a car for 22 hours? Well, when I was travelling as a young child to Italy with my parents, my brother and I sat in the back seats quietly so as not to disturb the driver up front. Daddy! On the way, we were loaded to the gunwales with stuff on the floor at our feet and between us in the seat, not only because there was no more room on the roof rack and the boot was full, but also to keep us from slapping and touching each other. But still, my father, sitting at the steering wheel on the right of the car, yep, we're the only country in Europe, most of the world, who sits on the right and drives on the left, my father would find cause to turn in his seat and deliver a hard thwack across the thighs, of the child unfortunate enough to be sitting behind the passenger mummy on the left of the car when we got noisy or whiny or argumentative which was about every hour As the oldest, I really found myself in that spot. As most children, we had assigned seats. My sweet younger brother's seat was on the left. Mine was on the right, out of harm's way. Daddy did try slapping me a few times, but the impact wasn't quite so hard. One couldn't quite get the momentum needed to deliver hard backhand thwacks. Plus I could quickly scoop my legs out of harm's way. But when we weren't getting on daddy's nerves, we'd stare out at the passing scenery or listen to the radio until it faded out after the first day and I'd open my window and will myself not to get sick. I suffered so badly from car sickness. We stopped to eat as my father didn't like the munching that occurred behind him. This is where I learned to suck my chips. Eight-hour stretches of road for a three- and a five-year-old were grueling. I think we slept a lot. My father did all the driving and we pitched a tent each of the three nights we were on the road. And at the age of 16 and 18, we did this trip again. This time we were much more cramped and crabby and definitely slept most of the way. But long distance travel in a car today is quite different. For starters, there are DVD players in the headrests of the seats in front or TVs that can be set up between the driver and passenger for the backseat occupants of viewing pleasure. We employed these devices when our children got old enough to ask for them. Prior to the visual, they satisfied themselves with listening to music and books on tape. We would talk, eat and snooze. There were no silence or smacking rules in our car. On the way to New Mexico recently, I was dreading the 22-hour trip with three of us trapped in a Volkswagen estate. I wouldn't have watched a film even if one had been available. The books on CD that were plugged in almost immediately were a disaster since they put us all to sleep, driver included, within the hour. So for safety's sake, we resorted to talking. And by the way, I probably didn't mention this, but I was with my friends in this Volkswagen estate, three ladies. For a whole 11 hours both ways we talked and I was worried on the outward journey because I wasn't sure we'd have much to say to each other since we really only met once a month for a few hours to discuss books or writing and on the return journey I was worried because surely we would be talked out after having spent five days together in a small cabin To put it mildly, if I'd really considered what I was doing, I doubt I would have let myself be talked into a trip with five other people I hardly knew. But as it turned out, God was beaming. We talked about the scenery, the windmills, and how the farmers didn't have to milk them. We stopped at 11 in the morning for a hamburger and fries and coffee. And we woke up. We spied the Cadillac art just before Amarillo. And we let down the windows for a nanosecond to enjoy the smells and hear the cattle. We commented on the time change when we crossed the border. We looked at the reservations and wondered what anyone could do with so much desolate land. Obviously, not a lot other than being able to brag about the hundreds of thousands of acres they owned. We watched the sun hover and finally set over the mountains when they finally came into view. And we hypothesized about the mesas. We talked about families, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, parents and grandparents, and found out lots of differences and commonalities. For example, our parents wanted the best for us in their own way. They were strict. They did unexplainable things. They had personalities, which I think we all thought we owned the exclusive rights to. While on our retreat, we wrote our goals for the week, in the evenings and on walks, we talked about positive thinking, faith. The Law of Attraction, Beliefs, and a new book called The Secret. We discussed education and how it would be changed if we were in charge. We compared cooking techniques and how to save water with a septic tank. We shared the work we'd done each day. We meditated before dinner and did yoga before breakfast. We kept quiet. We grew together. We bonded. We attracted. We developed a great deal of respect for one another. We found out how alike we all were. On the journey home, we talked about hopes and aspirations, ambitions and dreams, where we are now and where we want to be in the future. Same things, really. We dug deep for the defining moments in our lives. We owned up to mistakes, worries, and fears. We admitted to having already decided what we wanted our future grandchildren to call us. And we confessed to disastrous honeymoons. We stopped at rest stops and ate sandwiches in the car. The time flew, and at the end of it all, I was ambushed by philia. I don't know how I categorized these five women when we embarked on our yoga, meditation, and writing retreat. I referred to them only as my writing and reading group. They were my group, not my group of friends or my friends, just my group, a collective In our time away together, we unraveled our unique histories and rewove them into a trellis work of sweet friendship. All right, as promised, we're up to the question of the week, and I'm here to solve your problems and help you with your challenges at any stage in your homeschooling career, so here goes nothing. This week's question deals with reading out loud. How important is it to read aloud to your children, and what do you do if you're not very good at it, is the question. Well, I've heard it lots of times. As science for me is backburner fodder, so reading is for others. However, I cannot emphasize enough the importance of reading and comprehension in our children's lives. I always said to my children, if you can read well, then you can figure out how to do anything some parents whose reading skills are not as good as they want them to be worry that they can't read aloud to their children to these parents i say your children are going to love hearing your voice no matter what kind of job you do with the books you don't have to add voices i never did i read i didn't make a full-blown production out of it like my husband did i know it's difficult to do something every day that you don't look forward to but practice makes perfect and if you start when your children are young then the books are easier too My parents really never read aloud to us, but when they visited my homeschooling family, the children expected them to read to them at night as a pleasant change from mum and dad. Granny and grandpa were hesitant at first, but I gave them some really easy readers to cut their teeth on, and they soon discovered that their unskilled reading was met with eagerness and enthusiasm. My children helped with unfamiliar words and stories by reciting from memory the books I'd chosen for their grandparents to read aloud those first few evenings. It's always important to remember that with children, it's your willingness to involve yourself in their lives that will win them over, not how good you are at anything. My think anything I do is brilliant. I can't draw worth a hoot, but my children think I'm a fabulous artist because I try and manage to get my message across using stick figures. I also can't sing, but my voice shows up on all the audio tapes and videos we've made over the years. Just go for it. You have a very appreciative audience who think you're the best thing since sliced bread. Reading out loud develops a sensory skill most of us have lost, the auditory sense. I would read at the lunch table in the car in the afternoons on a glider, which may put us all to sleep. In fact, I have fallen asleep while reading out loud and fooled some of my children. Now, all my children love to listen to books on CD, and I must admit, they're better than I am at tuning into the said word and forming mental pictures of scenes and characters and holding the plots in their heads. I eventually graduated to 150-page books, and my stamina, stamina for out loud reading increased These days, I don't think anything of starting a 700-page book. I read 20 or 30 pages that are sitting for a few weeks, capturing their attention to the end. Oh, and if you're into technical manuals, you can read those out loud, too. I can't imagine anything dull myself, but then you may not enjoy reading Alice in Wonderland. Read what you love. Cookbooks, science magazines, newspapers, even comic books, but read to your children. Reading out loud develops a bond, too. My children will always remember the warm and fuzzy feeling, as Simon calls it, they get when a favorite book is reread. Wind in the Willows, The Wheel on the School, and Gentleman Bear are three favorites that immediately spring to mind. I also developed a trick with my out loud reading. I recorded some of their favorite books that I was fed up with and had hidden onto cassette tapes for them to listen to after lights were out. Now they still have the pleasure of hearing my voice reading their beloved books without me having to be at the helm, as it were. In fact, my oldest daughter took her 18th birthday take to Africa with her when she served on the Mercy ships. My wonderful Texan had fun with the books he read out loud. He'd use voices and make up silly endings that they instinctively knew were wrong even before they could read. Then he'd have to remember each time how he'd modified the book, and woe betide him if he made a mistake. They say elephants never forget. Let it be said that children never forget either. Listening plays an important role in their lives. Maybe not always my words, but other people's words of wisdom take root. If you have a question for me next week, email me at anglouk84 at gmail.com or leave me a message on my toggynet page. While I was gone on my retreat, the temperature plummeted and hubby and son moved all my plants inside so they didn't die in a threatened freeze. When I arrived home, all of them and the baker's rack were indeed indoors. And I spent the next day sorting them out so that we could move around the garden room without stepping over huge pots and running into additional wrought iron furniture. Never mind... The house looks so pretty now with all of its greenery. And I've used up another whole hour and it went so fast this week. So I'll bid you farewell. I'm off to a dinner and a play this evening. I'm going to see Man of La Mancha. Then I'm manning a stall at the Catholic Church's craft show all weekend for a friend. Thanks to my handsome husband, who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hard-working staff at Togginet Radio, my guest Junita Pavelka, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Hannah, Tina, and the St. Johnses. Stay tuned for Ali Lepreet, host of This Little Parents Stayed Home. She's coming up next. Have a great week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you May the Lord show you His kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Numbers six twenty four through
0: twenty six. Bye.
1: Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian Mcnenny on Togenet.